Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you once again on this Wednesday, October 7th of 2020. As always, we want to welcome all our listeners, wherever you're tuning in from, and we thank God uh, that you can join us today and be part uh, of the study of the Word. So nothing much, there's nothing better in this hour than the people of God coming in fellowship. It's so beautiful that, um, you know, we don't need a building to gather. You know, uh, we can gather anywhere. And, and we thank God for the use of technology that we're able to reach somebody far away and still be and still have that connection in the spirit. So we're so grateful. Uh, and, and we understand and we don't take this lightly. We want you to know we don't take uh, this responsibility before God of this podcast lightly. This has never been about <laughs> creating a, a crowd or anything. It's, it's about just simply having a pure desire to teach God's word and, and, and to give what God has given us. So, again, we're grateful that we can be together today in this day, and I pray that your heart is open to receive what God has for us today. Today in our panel, we have Brother Marty and Brother Fernando uh, joining us as we speak the things of God, the oracles of God. So, Brother Marty, without further ado, we're going to get into the Word of God, and uh, you can share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We're continuing our study in the book of Ezekiel and the visions that were granted to him by by the Lord. The prophet of the captivity is what we've come to know him as. Uh, Jeremiah was walking the streets of Jerusalem. Uh, but Ezekiel and Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they were all along with the other thousands that had been taken captive in the initial incursion of the Babylonian Empire into Jerusalem. They were the prophets of the captivity. They were a different generation in many ways. They would witness uh, their people be carried away from the, the fabled and storied capital of the nation, founded by the great King David. The tragedy of it all really kind of breaks my heart, you know, when I when you actually allow it to sink in as to what happened, not not just to the pagan demonic nations, especially of those times of the day, but but the people of God. Uh, who who saw the display of God uh, unlike any nation on the planet. And they received the oracles of God. They, they were taken by God uh, from slavery out of Egypt um, and, and brought by a mighty hand of God uh, out from underneath the, the control of Pharaoh of Egypt and then crossing the Red Sea and all the stories that we know. <laughs> he came down on Mount Sinai in a way that no nation had ever seen. Uh, as Moses would say to the children of Israel, you heard the voice of God. You saw his power. He came with his angels. He sat on the mountain in fire. Seventy elders would go up partway up that mountain with Moses. They too would witness his glory. So it was. it's it's quite an extraordinary thing. And then when Moses would, would pass away and Joshua would lead them in, uh, the hand of the Lord was with them. And there was no enemy that could stand before them. And, and then we know the history as, as, they, as they grew as a nation and, and God favored them and, and they, they became what they became. They, they were incredibly blessed as King David would be set over the kingdom. And after he would pass, Solomon would build this glorious temple. As we've studied in the previous podcast, the, the, the architectural design, the, the divine mathematics that were given to, to David to build what I like to call the sacred geometry, really, to build the great temple of God and place it on Mount Moriah, <clears throat> and complete with the most magnificent um, structure and, and beauty and, and the glory of God. And we've been talking about that in, in 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon dedicated the temple, um, the glory of God came in such a way as to fill the house of God to where the priest couldn't even stand up because of the weight of the glory. And as we've explored, uh, the Lord took his glory and receded it, withdrew it, and and contained it within the Holy of Holies, uh, an aspect of his glory. 
of course, you know, like Solomon said in his prayer, how could we even build a house for God? He said something so profound in his prayer when he said, the very heaven of heavens uh, cannot contain thee, which is an incredible thing to say, uh, because that opens up our thinking and such. <laughs> if we'll just, you know, think about it, it, you know, what he said, that heaven itself, you know, in our Christian dogma, in our traditions, we view heaven as the place, the destination. And, uh, and it is, but there's going to be a new one and there's going to be a new earth. But Solomon said way back when that, that even the heaven uh, it doesn't contain God. And, and then Paul would go on when he's standing on, on Mars Hill, given his great defense of the gospel, he would tell them, quoting from the Greek prophets, the, the philosophers, the Epicureans, and the Stoics of his day from the different schools of, of philosophy amongst the Greeks. He said, even your own poets have, have, have talked about this God that he was trying to tell them about. In that he said, in him we live, and we move, and we have our being. That God stands outside everything is an incredible thing, and well beyond the scope of our ability <laughs> to, to, to fully grasp. <clears throat> but Jesus kind of mentioned it, you know, when he talked about the Father being a spirit, and that we had neither seen his shape, right, or what he actually looked like. But, but the Lord said, I've seen him. I, I, I know what he looks like. But, you know, when you think about all those things and what we've been looking at, and it hasn't been easy, those of you who've been following us, I tell you what, uh, I haven't experienced the kind of warfare I've been experiencing uh, in, in, in ways uh, delving into these places uh, of this horrific uh, defiling of a holy people. It's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, and it can only be talked about, like Brother Jeremy said, by permission of the Holy Spirit. And so we thank God for what we've learned to this point. But like I was telling my brothers before we got started on our podcast today, <coughs> I'm getting pretty tired of these people. <laughs> they're, just, they're just messed up people, man. So, uh, you know, I, I want to focus on, on, on the last little bit today. Like we've been talking about, <clears throat> I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy if he, if he begins by simply reading chapter 9, uh, verse 1 through 4, and then in, in the name of Jesus, we'll, we'll look at our subject today. Uh, and we pray you'll be blessed. So get your Bibles, settle down, and uh, as we go into the, the visions of God by the prophet Ezekiel. Brother Jeremy. Amen. He cried also in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, Six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the, of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the rider's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Wow. Praise the Lord. So, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations done in the city. We're going to hopefully get to that today, and we want to just uh, talk a little bit before we get there. Uh, having reviewed at length over the last several podcasts now the, the four specific abominations that that the great prophet Ezekiel was allowed to see, in the absolute, total, and complete corruption uh, of a nation, uh, of its systems, its institutions, uh, the religious elite who had corrupted Jerusalem uh, with the delusionary thought amongst them, amongst their false prophets, amongst their king, uh, that in spite of how they were living or what they were doing, uh, surely 
their their one insurance plan was that th that they had the great temple and in their demented uh arriving at their demented conclusions that god uh would never destroy his holy city or his holy temple they persisted in their rebellion and it and it it reached a level uh that that necessitated uh, the 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 action of of God Himself uh, to allow the destruction of the city to take place, and so we looked at the four abominations. Uh, we talked about the seat of jealousy, and the image of jealousy that was set by the gate where the brazen altar was. We talked about the seventy elders and uh, their absolute spiritual corruption. The seventy elders representing the nation as a whole in their secret chambers, filled with the idolatry of the heathen nations, where they were offering. Uh, incense to that uh, to to those demon gods really, um, and then we talked about the women weeping for Tammuz, calling upon themselves the the, the very spirit of of Antichrist, having its origins that go all the way back uh, to Genesis 10 and 11 and the, and and Nimrod and Semiramis and and that whole uh, part of the of the story that we talked about there, and then finally. Uh, the 24 elders, chief priests of the fathers, uh, each one responsible for one of the 24 uh, Levitical uh, members of the Levitical priesthood and, uh, and, and the chief of the fathers, along with the high priest, uh, in between the porch and the altar with their backs toward the Holy of Holies, worshiping the sun, a type of the devil himself. When all these things that were shown to Ezekiel, they were actual events that happened but in this instance, God was revealing these things to him, as we've discussed, in the spirit. Remember, we talked about how Ezekiel talked about the Lord removing him, in essence, from his own body, uh, taking his soul and his spirit by a lock of, of his head, as he describes it, and, and transfers him in between the heaven and the earth and carries him by the wind of the Holy Spirit in visions of God, is how he described it. He allowed me to see what God sees is what he was saying. And so it is it is it was imperative as we discussed that we understand that what was being revealed to the great prophet in, 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 in chapter eight was the actual um truth of what was taking place spiritually, what was being generated, uh what was flowing out of out of the people, out of the priesthood, out of the royal house itself out of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judea. And and we've discussed that at length. There's something I wanted to show you here because I, I want to just talk about this for a second before we get into chapter 9. When this finally happens and, and God has determined that they've reached the level where judgment and wrath and all that the holy prophets from the days of Isaiah and Hosea and onward had prophesied for a little over a century and, and a half, really, before. Um, it was now about to come to pass, everything they had been warned about. And what was there was one thing here that really intrigued me, and, and it's in, in chapter 8 and uh, verse 18. And before you read that in verse 18, Brother Jeremy, what's interesting is that God is revealing to the prophet he's about to destroy these these people. And, and he's going to absolutely see the destruction of them but it won't happen for another four and a half years, and we won't take the time at, on this broadcast to get into to, uh, the connection uh, of how things are manifest in the spirit before they actually take place in our world. But they do take place. Uh, but I want to show you what God says about them. He says, when I begin to pour out my judgment, he reveals something very interesting in verse 18. This is what he says. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? Therefore. Will I also deal in fury? My eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Amen. So he's telling them, you know, look, I'm going to pour out this wrath, and they deserve it. <laughs> uh, but what really intrigues me about this, and what is very revealing, because it's God speaking to the prophet. He says, I will not have pity on them. And then he says this, though they cry in my ears with a loud voice. 
Now, what's intriguing to me and something that, you know, we'll just we'll discuss briefly uh, is 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 the lie of the devil. And what do you mean by that, Brother Mark? Well, the four different abominations that we've been exploring at length and all the sin that was taking place within within the country, within the people, within the very house of God. All of it was tied directly through the to the to the unifying of soul, heart, and body with the demonic and the occult, so to speak, nature of satanic will being expressed through them. And and I'll just leave it at that without getting in, in depth. But I will say this: they were they were they were <laughs> enjoying what they were doing. Because it had gone unchecked. And as a matter of fact, even though judgment was approaching them, it had been about six years since the first judgment took place. Remember, we read in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 1, that it was the sixth year of the sixth month of the fifth day that he's given this vision in chapter 8 that we were talking about. So those that are still in Jerusalem, have it's been six years since their brothers were carried away into Babylon. So a <clears throat> they got worse. <laughs> but it was as if they also became self-deluded, as we talked about in uh, in chapter 11. Uh, can you read chapter 11, what they said, what the conclusion they came to in verse 15? I mean, 14 and 15, would you, Brother Jeremy? Yes, 11, 14 and 15. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, thy brethren, even thy brethren, the men of thy kindred, and all the house of Israel, Holy, are they unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get you far from the Lord? Unto us is this land given in possession. So in other words, they were saying, Unto us this land is given to us in possession. What he was Lord was revealing about these people <laughs> was this. He said, Look, it's been six years. You guys have been gone for six years. And these these knuckleheads are left behind, just that's the Marty version of the Bible, right? These knuckleheads are left behind, and they've come to the deluded, self-deluded conclusion after six years that things are settling in now. And the truth of the matter is, is that what's left behind Jerusalem, the temple, and all the spoils of it, it belongs to them. It's theirs. They got away with it, so to speak. And all it did was serve to ingrain further within their soul and body this rebellious nature. Uh, that, that ultimately led to what Ezekiel was being shown in chapter 8, which we've discussed at length, like I said. So <clears throat> what I want to point out here is this self-delusion and, and, and the lie of, of the devil. And, and this is the lie of the devil, because that's what it is, and it needs to be understood this way. Because look at what God reveals in verse 18, chapter 8. He says, when he begins to pour out his wrath, he says, Therefore will I also deal in fury. I will not spare my I will not spare, and neither will I have pity. And then he says this, and though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I won't hear them. What's fascinating is the level to of depravity to which they sunk and the and the level of the expression of, of sin and evil against the Lord and, and all that dark, demented pleasure they were deriving from it as if there was some other kind of conclusion that was ever going to happen to them. That is that they would get away with it and continue. They, they were getting there. They were, they were, they were actually enjoying what they were doing in the ultimate blasphemy of it, but to expose the, the, the utter futility and emptiness of it, reality sets in when God judges. And that's what God was revealing here. What is fascinating to me is he says, when I pour out, when, when, when what they really fear, which is ultimate judgment coming down on them, and when, when they come and burn up this city and start slaughtering people all over the place because of their sin, uh, you know, that's what's going to happen to them. He says, they're, they're going to cry out to me then. And this shows the absolute self-deception that sin can place you into. Because no matter how depraved they got, 
when the time would come for them to be judged, he says, they're going to turn and cry out to me. And, and that, that shows that, <clears throat> that the lie or the promise or whatever uh, 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 of sin is, is woefully exposed. It's a delusion. It's an energy. It's, 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 it's something that clouds the mind, distorts the judgment, and causes this phantasmal kind of thinking to occur within the sinner himself, and especially when you couple it with knowledge of the divine. Because when the rubber hits the road, what God reveals here is all that that they've been doing, they'll throw it off. And suddenly they'll be left with the realization that... <laughs> That you know, I've been, I've been, I've been messing around, but the truth of the matter is, I know who God is, right? I know the real God, and and when that day comes, and I and they cried out to Him, He says, "No, you see, you went too far, you crossed the line. I sent you prophets early. I continually warned you. I continually forgave you and forgave you and forgave you." But the truth of the matter is, is that you wouldn't turn and you allowed it to so infiltrate your psyche that you came, like he says in verse 17, right? He said, then he said unto me, have you seen this son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit these abominations, which they're committing here in my house? And then he says, for they filled the land with violence. And then they come back to my house to provoke me to anger. That's those, the, the elders who had turned their backs on God. This is this is a darkness within the house of God. But the point is, as God says, but when ultimate judgment comes down on them, he says suddenly their little fantasies, their little delusions, their little playing around with the devil, they're going to realize he has no power. He has nothing to offer them. He has nothing to give them but death. That's what they wanted. That's what they're going to get. And and the stark reality, the most horrible of horrible things, is when you come to the place and try and repent, and there is no forgiveness. It's too late. And in essence, what we're seeing here is a miniature prophecy of what the book of Revelation says will happen to the whole world at the end. Because that is where we're headed right now. It's going to dawn on those who know him and those who don't. When he appears, and it's not without warning, he's, he's, he's warned us all along, man, for, for millennia in his word, Jesus talked about uh, the Lord coming back at an hour that his servant doesn't think that he's coming back. You remember that, that, uh, that parable, brother? Parable. Let's take a look at it. Go ahead, brother. Let's take a look at that while you're going to say something. In Luke chapter, uh, chapter 12, what were you going to say, bro? Yeah, you spoke about a miniature prophecy being revealed in the book of Ezekiel uh, that concerns the end. It, it, that's exactly uh, what will take place at the end of time. And again, these are things that we're kind of going over and repeating, you know, letting, uh, taking the people to see it from the prophetic angles of what the Lord is saying. Uh, you know, and we keep asking the question, can you see it? Do you see it? Do you see the 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 parallels that you see the the prophecy hidden in this story, obviously at a at a much smaller scale, but it, it's again that's what prophecy is, right? It's 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 every time it, it reappears, prophecy reappears, it enlarges itself. Right? Yes. And this time, it's not just going to be the nation of Israel, where this kind of um, idol idolatry or idol worship, satanic worship. Uh, will take place is going to happen all over the world. Um, yes. You know, where the, the Bible says that the dragon will give power to the beast and the, the, the beast, the antichrist will have another beast, the, the false prophet. And, yes. and, and, and ultimately the false prophet will be in charge of the religious spiritual part of leading mankind, the whole planet to worship the beast. But in essence, in doing that, they will be worshiping the dragon. Yeah. Okay, yep. so that that's that's book of Revelation terminology. So we're seeing uh, in type and shadow what took place in the in the nation of Israel, 
we're, we're seeing in the book of Revelation will happen in the future that will take place all over the world. You know, brother, and that's a very that's a very interesting thing you're saying there because, um, we, you know, th this wrath that came upon uh, the children of Israel was so great precisely because they had the word of God, right? I mean, for generations, for, for, for millennia, they had the word of God. Since the days of Moses to this point right here is probably about a thousand years or so, maybe a little bit more. I have to dig in a little bit more, but at least a thousand years since the Exodus when this is about to go down. So uh, the difference being what you're pointing out is that the next time is the whole world, like the book of Revelation predicts. But why? Because the gospel, right? You know, the the, the only nation that had the, the Bible <laughs> was Israel, so they were judged even harsher. But now that's, it gives some light into what Jesus is saying. This the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. Then the end shall come, right? And the kind of end that shall come is followed by in Matthew twenty four fifteen with, with uh, and when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, let him who readeth understand, right? For then shall be tribulation. Then he goes on and talks about all that. Uh, but it seems that 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 <clears throat> that intense judgment coming upon the whole planet, like it did in the in these days of Israel that we've been talking about, is precisely because now the whole world for two thousand years has had the gospel preached to it. And the access to the gospel, anyone anywhere on the planet can access the gospel. It's being beamed down from satellites all over the world. It's you know whether they avail themselves to it or not. That's a whole different case. But the fact of the matter is, we have reached those days. And and so the harsh penalty that you've been you were talking about there, yeah, it comes on the whole world because of its rejection of the gospel, like you talked about the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. But you see, brethren, uh, this is what the Lord warns about in, in, in Luke chapter 12, verse, uh, are you there, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Uh, start with verse, let's see, read verse 45 and 46 to us. This is the parable of the of the good ser uh, servant and the, uh, the faithful servant and, and the unfaithful servant. This is speaking of the unfaithful servant. Look at how he describes this. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken, the Lord of the servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. So his reward, for those of you who believe in eternal security, <laughs> his reward will be his portion is with the unbelievers. He'll be treated just like, uh, you know, a heathen, uh, you know, someone who didn't believe in the gospel. And so it's that same sense when God says, that, yeah, I'm going to put when my judgment comes, they're going to cry out to me. This is, look, man, I didn't even know how to describe this, but this is, this is the lie you know, uh, of sin, you know, yeah, if there was no pleasure in sin, nobody would sin. You know, the Bible talks about Moses in, in the book of Hebrews in the great hall of faith, where it says that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So God doesn't sit there and go, ah, you know, this is the, I know there's no pleasure in it. Yeah, he, he admits there's pleasure in it, but it's destructive. And, and if you don't get away from it, it'll snare you and so delude you that, that like he reveals here in the parable that we're reading, uh, the, the little portion that we just read there, the Lord of, uh, of that servant will come in a day that he's not looking for him, that he looketh not for him. And when he's not aware, which implies that he originally was one who used to look for him. And really was one at one time who was aware of him. So sin took him away and, and, and distorted and demented his mind. But when the day arrives, it's too late, right? <laughs> and that's what God was you know, saying. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> you know, we're speaking about a leadership in the times of Ezekiel that yeah. um, was so delusional. Thinking, as you said, because they had the temple that... <laughs> this would not happen to them. 
But the same type of message uh, reverberates in this hour. Preachers, I hear phrases, right? And and again, we're not speaking about a little mistake, someone, you know, somebody that I'm talking about habitual sin, that they're, they're in darkness. And But you hear phrases like this that, that is preached today, like, you cannot out-sin God, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and this grace message yeah. that has brought a confusion to the people. And, yeah. and so I'm glad you, 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 you brought this Luke uh, scripture, because many people can say, well, that was the Old Testament. No, even in the New <laughs> Testament, it's even much harsher. <laughs> Because, yeah, it's much you know, harsher. <laughs> it's harsher because we have the truth and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And that's why when Paul puts the leadership on notice, when he tells him, know ye not that you are the temple of God, right? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Look what he says. Mm-hmm. If any man defile the temple of God, look what he tells him. Him shall God destroy. Him wow. shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So if you think it's much easier, no, 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 no. It, it, there's more responsibility upon our lives here after His death because we have the whole, we have no excuse. Right. And, but but that 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 sentiment is lies within our churches, within our, our in, in speaking in general of the same attitude. And remember, the disciples. They were heading towards that. Remember when they told Jesus, "Look at our temple," <laughs> and, he, right. and, he, and he he brings it out. He says, "No, in three, that, that's going to be destroyed." You know, mm-hmm. they were beginning to fall into that trap in wow. some way, if we could see it. Wow. You know, but you know, you're right, yeah. brother Jeremy. I hadn't thought about that. Just uh, and you, uh, brothers and sisters who are listening, just bear with us for a second here. Uh, when you talk about the temple, because remember. Uh, Jesus had commanded the apostles after his resurrection and ascension into heaven that they were to tarry in Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high, right? And and then they were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, after the Holy Spirit was poured out, uh, they didn't leave. They, they didn't leave. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. at first they were being persecuted by the Pharisees and Sadducees for preaching in the name of Jesus. But then time went by, a couple of years go by, and they're still there in the temple. Mm-hmm. And it, it ended up costing uh, the life of, of the first martyr of the church, as I see it recorded, which is the uh, the deacon Stephen. Remember, they, they stoned him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then the church was scattered abroad everywhere. It cost, it cost something. But it says that the apostles remained in Jerusalem. They, they never left. And and they were around that temple, so you made me think of that when you were saying, man, they were already giving into that, you know, being enamored by the by the buildings and the temple itself. Incredible, right? Incredible. Well, see, but but see, it, but that that's what. So God moves like he like when he when he began to move and the outpouring of the Spirit in the in the beginning of the 19th century. But what happened? Man took it and put it into a box that we yeah. call establishment, that we call denomination. That's what we do. We pollute, you know, something so genuine, so truthful. And maybe they started off good, but they kept it there within themselves. And that's why all these denominations, whether Assemblies of God, Church of God, they, they all claim to have to be the first ones to have it, you, right? You know, yes. uh, it, it came to us or, or blah, blah, blah. But that's what we do. That's what established. And that's what you were talking about yesterday, Brother Marty, as that, that, uh, at, at such high levels, this degradation, I don't know what other word to use, this things that are happening that one cannot even describe of the things, and it all stems from there. You want to see why the condition of America is where, where we're at? And the people of God, look at our, our, our pulpits, our preachers, and you would find out horrendous things. It's true, brother. And, and again, that, that, that part of what you're talking about there, Ezekiel was allowed to see this in the spirit as we've been talking about. You know, he 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 wasn't there in person. He was in the realm of the spirit. You know, and we use that that word spirit, you know, as a catch-all, but we really don't understand it. But it's more real uh, than than what we see with the naked eye. But my point is this: is that the best way I can describe it in our time. If you've ever been near, uh, let's say, a, a power plant 
or you know the, the, that's generating electricity have you, have you heard that hum that comes out of the you know the wires and the and the conductors have you ever heard that hum that emits from a generator or anything even even when even when an air conditioning unit is turned on right there's that hum of the motor in it that's driving the fan right well the hum is the best way i know how to describe what what appears to be generated within the realm of the spirit through the lives of those uh that are on the earth uh the church or uh, the the church of the devil, man. I mean, there's, that's it. You know, so there is something being emitted that causes reverberation, for lack of a better word. Okay, I'm just trying to look for words to describe this uh, in the realm of the spirit. And <clears throat> when it gets so bad, uh, do you remember that scripture that God talks about it where he says, let us go down and see uh, if their sin is altogether as bad because their sin is reached up into heaven in Genesis. Do you remember where that scripture is, brothers? You know which one I'm talking about when he's talking about the, the cup of the Amalekites or the Amorites, I think is who he mentions there. Let me see here. Uh, I probably shouldn't have brought that up, but but you know which scripture I'm talking about? Yeah. In Genesis 18. 18. Oh, let me see. Okay. Uh, is it the one where I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it? Is that it? Well, that's what, yeah, that's a good one. That's just talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Come unto me. Yes. Let's take a look at that. Well, where is that? Well, go ahead and read that to us. That uh, That's in Genesis chapter 18. <clears throat> uh, okay, here we go. Verse 20 and 21. Okay. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. <laughs> That's just incredible. I mean, think of that, what he just said there, and what's revealed to us there. That's what I was talking about, that hum that reverberates throughout the spiritual world and the dimensions that are. Here, he's right. saying that two two particular cities, that it literally transcended the material realm and reached into the very heaven itself and came before God. Right. What is that? Right? <laughs> and that's what we see happening in Ezekiel 8. I mean, you know, Go ahead, how, how grievous! How grievous is it that it made literally God come down and see, you know, He who sits on His throne, right, to come down. Right. And, I mean, to to that He has to come down and, and see for Himself. It, it just speaks of the grievousness of of of, of 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 that it caused Him to come down, you know, and see yes. for Himself. So yeah, yeah and. and and that's the, and, and what may and, and that kind of gives us the understanding here in chapter eight of Ezekiel that we're talking about, because when God came down in Sodom and Gomorrah from the cry that emitted from it, that literally trans trans you know traversed the dimensions, it sent shock waves in all directions uh, throughout the the realms of of the dimensional uh, you know places that God dominions and principalities that God has made. Uh, that aren't seen by the naked eye, but they're there because that's what the Bible reveals. That it traversed that, it 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 it, it ascended and and exploded in in a 360 degree way, and reached the very heaven itself. That was Sodom and Gomorrah. But here in chapter eight, this kind of sin, because it came from people that know him necessitated not that he sent three angels down to Father Abraham, which is what he you go on to read, right, in Genesis 18 uh, and 19, I think, uh, but God himself came down. God himself came down. Now, God came down in Genesis 18, but he sent three angels, right, uh, in, 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 to Father Abraham in the plains of memory. But here, Ezekiel has God himself coming the same God who came down in all his glory with his throne on Mount Sinai. That's how much more this was so egregious because of the knowledge they possessed of him. And I don't want to belabor that point, you know, because I could really dig into those things, but be careful. 
that's all we're saying. You know, we got to be careful. It's just a hard world to live in. I'm telling you, I know, you know, I've spent a long time laboring over our audiences. I know you have my brothers praying over y'all. And not only that, but just, you know, the experience of traveling this world and preaching the gospel. There's things that, that I sense right now taking place across not only the world, but we're dealing specifically with the United States and the parallels that we see, like we've been talking about. And I know God's people are, are, are having, uh, not all, but some, and some of you know, loved ones, you know, they're struggling. They'll never admit it. They might be living in a private hell in their mind, dealing with things with their own uh, flesh nature, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, they're, they're being bombarded on all sides. And understand what God was talking about here. He said the sin of Sodom was so great that it could cry of it reached up into heaven. Well, that is what many are sensing. You may not understand what you're sensing. You may not understand what you're feeling. I'm not talking about those that are dealing with temptations, but just spiritual people out there. You haven't been able to define this sense of unease that's growing, this, this foreboding shadow that seems to be growing across you know, the, the landscape of, of our country and the world, you sense it. You, you, you haven't really been able to give expression to it, but you feel it. That is what we're talking about. It's growing. It's growing. It's been unleashed. Something different is happening. And it's quite possible uh, that we're headed to those days that, that, that we see in the scripture have been foretold for thousands of years. The day has arrived. And in their case, he said, like Brother Fernando was talking about, uh, it, it, in, in the book of Revelation, uh, the very same pattern will now come to a full fruition. And it won't be just Israel crying out. It'll be the whole world. That's what's going to happen when the wrath of God falls. Take a look at that in, in, in Revelation chapter 6. Would you look at that, Brother Jeremy? <laughs> Revelation 6, I think it's the, let's see here. This is what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, would you read verse 15 um, through 17? Yes. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the, great, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Amen. So suddenly uh, they realize that all these stories about Jesus that have been being told for thousands of years, <laughs> oh my God, it's true, right? I mean, it's like, he's there and they know it and their their inclination is to hide from him just like adam did they're still children of adam right and and the wrath that's going to be exerted is the wrath of the lamb and the wrath of god and then it goes into chapter seven which is where they send forth the angels to mark the servants of god and that's what we see happen in ezekiel now let's go over to chapter nine and we'll We'll probably pick it up from here again tomorrow because <laughs> we've gone we've we've been on a journey already. So let's read there in verse uh, verse one and two, brother. Would you read that? He cried also in my ears with a loud voice, saying, "Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand." And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. Having extensively reviewed chapter 8, which which basically is revealing uh, the sin of every part of society there. Um, we now cross into chapter 9. 
which will deal with the consequences of that sin. And that's what we do. From chapter 9, 10, and 11, those of you who have been studying along with us, from this point on, what you're going to see is the is the consequence and and the working of the judgment of God that would come down upon them. He turns his attention now to begin the process of removing his glory. You know, I've often wondered, uh, you know, he removes his glory precisely because of the kind of heart that he has. <laughs> you know, he, he's, a, he's, he's a God of goodness and mercy. David wrote, you know, uh, blessed art thou, O Lord God, uh, for thy goodness and mercy endureth forever. Right? He has that, that love. God is love. And, and and he says, I will not spare. I will not have pity. I can't. He has to remove his himself from the from the destruction that's coming upon them. It's not something that he wants to do. It is something that divine justice necessitates happen. It has to be dealt with. Or like anything, uh, if allowed to fester from this point on, God only knows what would have happened. But he prevented it. He stopped it because it had reached right up to the very door of the holy place and the holy of holies. That's how far it had gone, and that was one step too many. And so in, in verse 1, he cries for those that have charge over the city. We talked about that yesterday. Those that are appointed in the unseen realm, the angelic host, six of them, uh, were guarding Jerusalem, uh, were guarding uh, not the temple uh, in, in, in many respects, but ultimately the glory of God that was residing within the holy of holies. That's what they're guarding. It's incredible when you think about it. You know, he calls for them as the glory is about to be removed and 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 withdrawn from the Holy of Holies and taken back up with God into heaven. Uh, they come with destroying weapons in their head. And, and that's very interesting to me. Um, it's almost like, uh, you know, for lack of, I mean, this is a bad example, but because we're talking about the Lord here, but, you know, when a, when a head of state, you know, walks into any place or moves, have you noticed? I mean, he's just surrounded by, uh, you know, soldiers and guards and, you know, they clear the way. You know, this is, this is the head of state. This is, he represents a nation, you know, and they, those, those guys are intense, right? You know, you're not going to get near this. I can get near this, man. It's interesting to me that the glory is, is escorted out and protected by heaven itself, protected by the seraphim, cherubim uh, that, that are that are revealed as we go forth, and by those who have been protecting it, who have charge over the city. These are these are the angels. And then in verse two, uh, can you read that to us, brother Jeremy? And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's ink horn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. So they go, these six go and stand by the brazen altar. And, and But then it says there's one man among them. Literally in the Hebrew, it's, 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 uh, it's one in the midst. He comes out uh, making a total of seven. Uh, but he's the seventh. Uh, and, and what's interesting is is what we are seeing here is a revelation uh, of of the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Lord. Uh, he he's clothed with linen. That that and you know we ain't got time to get into all this, but you can do your own studies. But the linen, the particular kind of weave uh, that's being talked about here, is only worn by the high priest. And so what we are seeing is the true high priest of heaven coming out from among these six. And he's the wow. one with the writer's inkhorn by his side. It's to him that God speaks. He's responsible yes. for several things. One, he's going to mark those who have uh, who've been lamenting over what's been going on <laughs> in Jerusalem and amongst the ministry, so forth and so on. And he's also the one who executes judgment. See, we just read that in, in Revelation chapter 6, right? It says, they try to hide themselves from he that sits on the throne, that's the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb. As we go on into these chapters, we're going to see it is the Lord Jesus Christ who both preserves 
and who also executes the wrath of God, who executes the judgment of God upon not only Israel of that day, but in the future, not too many days from now. It'll be upon the whole world that has rejected his grace and has turned their backs on him and Calvary. What's interesting here <clears throat> to me uh, is his description and, and, and that he's the one that's charged with recording things, right? That's what the Lord's job is, one of them, that he does. Would you read to us Revelation 3, Brother Jeremy, verse 4 and 5, when Jesus is addressing the church at Sardis? He uses some really interesting language there. Yes. Thou has a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. We see that one of the duties of the Lord is to guard and protect and to to record um, the uh, the book of life and to either erase out of it or to preserve within it the names that are that are apportioned for the destiny they've been called to. That is why when he comes out, uh, he comes out with the inkhorn by his side. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the angels go and they stand beside the brazen altar. And the reason they do that is because God is showing Ezekiel there will be no more opportunity for repentance. There will be no more opportunity to call upon my name. When he says they will call upon me and I won't hear them, uh, he meant it. And he, he symbolizes that to, to, to Ezekiel by having the angels guard the way that symbolizes the cross. One of the hardest things for people to understand, many, is that there is an end to the grace of God. There, there will come, Jesus called it, uh, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. There is an end to the age of the church. There is an end to the extension of mercy and grace uh, by way of the Lord Jesus Christ, by way of the cross. Mm -hmm. That day will come. And until then, thank God, <laughs> we can call upon his name wherever we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we may have drifted or fallen, as long as we have breath and as long as the world abides, we can call upon his name. For he said, I will in no wise cast you out, right? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's only one unpardonable sin, truly. And that is the ultimate rejection of his mercy and grace. And that's what they did when they turned their back on him and and, and broke his heart, right? <clears throat> so he sends his son. We we see him here in Ezekiel 9. He's the high priest. He's clothed in, in, in linen. And he sends his angels to say, symbolically in the spirit, there will be no more sacrifice for sin. The time and the hour of the judgment of this house has come. And so in verse 13, it says the glory of the Lord uh, of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. God is now removing himself uh, from his house and from that nation. And then he addresses uh, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ when it says he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And what did the Lord tell him, Brother Jeremy? Can you read that? I'm sorry, brother. This is in Revelation still? No, we're in uh, Ezekiel chapter uh, 9, verse 4. Okay, verse 4. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. This is powerful. We'll just close with this and pick it up from here tomorrow because there's so much more to dig into. But I want you to see that the, the heart of the Father, that, that he's not so consumed in his rage and in his justice to mete out a just and due sentence upon those that have rejected him, that he has completely forgot about his people. And we want to encourage you about this today, that no matter what days lie ahead of us, 
And I'm going to tell you something. It's going to get really, really bad here in the next several weeks. And you're going to see things that will absolutely blow your mind. But don't forget that these are not days that are coming upon us that the Lord hasn't warned us about. These are the reasons that he is having us in these scriptures that we've been uh, exploring. We have been separated, and he is trying to remove his people uh, from the consequence of what just lies ahead. Trust me, there is a captivity that's taken place, but it has been initiated by the Lord. Read Jeremiah 24, and you'll understand. There is a separation taking place, and he is reaching out to his children. And when you see things that are coming, understand this. He has not forgotten who you are. He has marked you and sealed you by his Holy Spirit, and he is going to protect you, and he will protect us. We just have to understand how to navigate ourselves in the midst of these times. It's not a time to be fearful, although we will see fearful things because Jesus said so, that there would be fearful sights. Right? I mean, he, I mean, he warned us of these things. But he also told us, though men's the sea and the waves would be roaring, uh, men's hearts would be failing them for fear of what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers of the very heavens themselves are going to be shaken. But then he said, but when you see these things, you lift up your head, for your redemption is drawing near. God that has not me. forgot his people. Amen? He will take Amen. care of his people. And that's what he shows here, the quality of his heart. Before he's, I mean, he doesn't move like we do in emotions. He doesn't react. He systematically does what he does in absolute perfection of both justice and mercy, grace, and love. And that's what we see here in verse 4 when he, he yells to the Lord with the inkhorn by his side. He says, you go mark those who, who are my children. And, and, that, and, what, and we'll talk about this tomorrow, but that mark that he put on their head, this is this is just a completely awesome. <clears throat> it, it's it's the Hebrew letter, uh, the tav. That that that's what really what was on 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 their head. He was marking them with a tav. What's what's really cool about that is that is that when when this was written in Hebrew, um, the original construction of the letter tav, which is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, is in the shape of a cross. And so here we have a prophecy of those that are sealed will be those that identify themselves with the true sacrifice, the cross of the Lord. Calvary is why we are saved. The resurrection is why we live. And so what, what was literally set upon their head in the spirit was the sign of the cross. Tav. When Jesus appears in the book of Revelation, he tells John, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's Greek. But in the Hebrew, he, he would have said it. I am the Aleph, first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And I am the Tav, the last letter, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is our Lord, and this is our Lord marking his people in the city before judgment falls. That is what he's doing right now with his children all over the world. Trust me. That is what his word uh, is revealing to us. And we're excited about these days because we know. If we had no Christ, we would have no hope, right? But this is our faith, and he's closer now than when we first believed. So we'll pick it up from here tomorrow. We pray you've been encouraged. And Brother Jeremy, Brother Fernando, anything else you'd like to say? Oh, praise God. Just just want to encourage the believer. And uh, I, I could sense it, uh, Brother Marty, and your voice, and, and literally what we sense, you know, what we're sensing of, of we're at what we are at the brink of. I want to encourage to with this verse and leave you with this something that was said about Noah. It said in, in, in Hebrews eleven seven, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, and prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by that which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Let us take heed in this hour of the warnings that God in his mercy is giving us and let us move with fear as we prepare ourselves, embrace ourselves for what is coming. We love you, we pray for you, and we pray that you've been blessed 
with this uh, study today. And hope that you can join us tomorrow on Thursday, Lord willing, if the Lord allows us, we'll be back. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. And as always, keep looking up.